0: everybody welcome back um so we're going to start at chapter 12 blood and this is going to be on page 257 um so the first thing that you're going to see at the top is transportation and protection so blood is in charge um well not in charge of um uses transportation um to meet what the body needs and it also is used in protection so when i say transportation um blood is going to carry the oxygen it's going to help rid of carbon dioxide uh it's going to help uh, maintain a blood pressure in your heart um and then when i say protection there's different types of blood cells and these are going to help you fight infections and this is going to be uh what keeps you um uh, in well health this is what helps maintain homeostasis so um moving d- over to the next page we're going to be on page 258 and this is talking under uh blood composition and blood tissue so the blood has many chemicals dissolved in it and millions plus cells living in it um So liquid or the extracellular part is plasma. And you're going to hear this word a lot more throughout here. Plasma contains many cell fragments and these make up formed elements. Um, So the amount of blood in a person depends on their size. And if they're male or female, male tend to be bigger than female. Um, And then if you have more body weight than someone else, you're probably going to have more blood than the other uh, than a smaller person. Uh, So most adults probably have four to six liters of blood. That's four to six Mountain Dew bottles worth of blood in your body. That's how I like to associate liters because that's my favorite drink. Um, So the volume of plasma in the blood is usually a little more than half of the entire volume of the whole blood. And we don't really have to get into that. She didn't really uh, want us to get deep into that, but that might be just something to know. So blood is slightly alkaline. And if you remember, we talked about... um, alkalosis and acidosis in previous chapters, and this is basically on your pH scale. Your blood has to be within a certain pH for you to be alive. So with a um, 7.0 being your neutral, our blood is at a 7.35 to a 7.45, and we want it to be in this range. It is slightly above even one point above, this could be an indication of illness, um, usually resulting in fever. So it says if the alkalinity of your blood is increased towards neutral uh, or decreases towards neutral, I'm sorry, then you're a very sick person. In fact, you have acidosis. Um, and that's another thing that we see here. So acidosis is low blood pH and alkalosis is a high blood pH. So now we're going to bump down to blood plasma. So plasma is the liquid part of blood, uh, blood minus its formed elements, and we're going to go over that part later, but it's about 55% of whole blood. Um, So it's composed of water and a lot of other substances dissolved into it, and it accounts for about um, 1.5% of total O2 transported in the blood and about 10% of total CO2 transported in the blood. So these parts you didn't hit on super hard, but I would know them. Um, the most abundant solutes dissolved in plasma are albumins, globulins, fibrinogen, and prothrombin. So, albumins help retain water in the body by osmosis, which is the passive transportation. Globulins include antibodies that help protect us from infections and circulate in the plasma. Uh, fibrinogen is necessary for blood clotting, and prothrombin is necessary for blood clotting. So, these are kind of a tier. Um, plasma uh, Minus its clotting factors is just serum. Uh, And she did say this. I heard it a couple of times, so I would know that. So serum is the liquid remaining after forming whole blood clots. Um, And then serum can also contain antibodies. So the IV admin of albumin is sometimes used as a plasma volume expander in people with normally low blood volume. Um, It will draw out about three to four times its volume of fluid into the blood through the process of osmosis. But it really didn't hit on that very hard, but I did want to put that in there. So um, now we're going to go over formed elements. There's three types of formed elements. And I have made a chart. It's on the website. If you go to www learn me lpn.com under printables and this is also under the study guide as well for this chapter 12 um there's a formed uh form elements of the blood chart and there's also a formed element of the blood um mnemonic it's not very catchy but it's just something that i will associate with the first letter of a word and associate to uh something else in the definition of that word Uh, And it kind of connects the two for me. So we're going to go ahead and go over formed elements. And if you are listening to the podcast, I would follow along with the sheet. And if you are with me on YouTube at the moment, I would um, you can just watch the screen. I'm going to go ahead and write this up on the board. So we're going to look at formed elements of the blood. So we're just going to write F.E. up here and uh, you're going to start out with R.B.C. So your R.B.C.'s are your red blood cells. Um, And I have a feeling that on the test, she is going to have it under erythrocyte. So erythrocyte, and these are the technical term for them. So these perform oxygen and carbon dioxide transport. So these are specifically for that. So we're going to say CO2, um, and we're going to say oxygen. Um, And if you followed along with me before in the past couple chapters we talked about, a little bit deeper in depth for red blood cells we're going to get into that in just a moment but i like to picture them as a vehicle driving through the body um carrying the passengers co2 and oxygen um and this is this helps me to memorize things as i'm going along so we have red blood cells and these are specifically for co2 and oxygen and then next we have um platelets and these are important because they are essential in clotting or coagulation that's a really cool word one of my favorite words so we have platelets And these are thrombocytes. And also you can associate this word with thrombus. Um, And this would be a blood clot. So if there's too much, too many platelets, um, it could be a clot. So thrombus. Okay, so thrombosis. Um, And these are essential in blood clotting. Or coagulation. All right. Um, so next we're going to go down to white blood cells, and these are going to be your fighters. There seems to be a lot more of this going on, but they're equally as if not if not more important, I believe, than red blood cells. So you need to carry oxygen through your body. But what happens if something happens to those red blood cells? You're going to need the sister over here, your white blood cells. They're going to need to come into play. And there are many different kinds So you have um, granular and agranular. She didn't really care for us to know all of that, but I'm going to go ahead and get a little bit into it. So you have white blood cells or your WBCs, and these are leukocytes. And it is important to know these terms because you're going to have to associate this with cancer later. So you have your leukocytes and you have granular leukocytes, and then you have a granular leukocytes. And this feels like it's super confusing, but really it is just telling you what it looks like under a microscope. So granular have stained granules in cytoplasm and agranular do not have stained granules in cytoplasm. So that's basically all that there is to that. It's not super in depth. Um, not as far as we're going anyway. So we're going to start over here at granular leukocytes and there are three different types. So we have neutrophils, neutrophils, and then we have um, eosinophils, and then we have basophils. All right, um, so your neutrophils are also considered phagocytes. And we went through this before, um, but your phagocytes are hungry. That's the only way that I can remember it. They are hungry and they're going to eat what they can, but they like to eat invaders. So your phagocytes are going to protect you from invading microorganisms through phagocytosis. We did talk about this before. Uh, Pinocytosis would be like drinking them up and phagocytosis would be eating them up. So if something comes into um, your body that does not belong, your neutrophils are going to come into play. And this is going to get rid of those. Um, so I'm going to go over to my mnemonic page and... I put under neutrophils, they keep us looking new by protecting us through phagocytosis. Um, okay, so your eosinophils are protection against parasites, uh, parasitic worms, and regulating uh, allergic reactions. So I said it protects us from bees by releasing histamines during infl- uh, inflammatory responses and help us not to, oh, I'm sorry, I totally skipped our <laughs> eosinophils. Everyone is safe from parasites and all allergic reactions, and then I said ew, parasites and asthma, so you eosinophils. Um, Next, we're going to go over to basophils, Um, and these are going to produce a histamine during inflammatory responses. They produce heparin to prevent clotting in blood vessels of the body. So when you get stung by a bee and you start to swell, it is not the bee's poison, venom, whatever it is that is causing that swelling to happen it's the basophils they are producing a histamine during an inflammatory response and this is saying hey you don't belong here you've got to go um it's an attempt to rid the body of this and to let you know that there's something wrong so it also uh, produces heparin to prevent clotting in blood vessels of the body and that's important to know because heparin is a uh, medication that can be administered to uh, people that have thicker blood Okay, so that is your three granular leukocytes on one half of the white blood cell um, spectrum. So I'm going to go ahead and erase this and we're going to go over to a granular leukocyte. And here you have two and then you have a subcategory. So you're going to have monocytes. We're going to put mono and then we're going to say lymphocytes. Okay, so your monocytes um, eat bacterial organisms and cancer cells through phagocytosis and transform into macrophages. So the monocytes are going to be the smaller one. Macrophages are the mac daddies. They're the big ones. That's how we're going to memorize that. Um, So lymphocytes are the function. uh, They function in the immune mechanism. And by that, we're going to break down into two more categories under lymphocytes. And this is going to be B lymphocytes. So B cells and T cells. Okay, so B cells secrete antibodies that attach to specific antigen molecules related to bacterial viruses, um, chemical toxins, and foreign substances. Uh, And then you have T lymphocytes or T cells. They protect the body by directly attacking cancer cells, bacteria, or virus infected cells. And let me tell you a secret. If we had a way to create more T cells to replicate those, we would have the cure for cancer. Really. What it comes down to is that if someone gets cancer and they do not have a lot of T cells, they do not have a well amount of T cells or they have had a condition already that has weakened their immune system, they're much more likely to um, not recover from this. But if you have T cells fighting for your body, um, it's more likely that you're going to uh, that you're going to beat something. And a lot of the times when people have um, chemo, when they have chemo radiation or chemotherapy, it will destroy the T cells as well as the. the cancer cells and that's damaging sometimes you you get it sometimes you don't um and it's just a toss-up but if we could create more t-cells this would in turn uh help us create a cancer so it's important to know that um so i'm going to go ahead and bump over and now we're going to talk about hematopoiesis so hematopoiesis is the formation of new blood cells. Hematopoiesis happens in red bone marrow. We did talk about this before. I am rolling my chair all over my phone cord. So I'm going to pick this up. Okay. Um, so there's two kinds of connective tissue and it's myeloid tissue and lymphoid tissue. So myeloid mylo- uh, tissue is in the red bone marrow and it's the origin of all blood cells found within bones. Lymphoid tissue, uh, lymphocytes develop the lymph nodes, thymus and spleen. So to move Lymphoid or move to lymphoid tissue after developing in the red blood, uh red bone marrow while they are still in early state and mature in the lymphoid tissue. So red blood cells only live about four months, not a very long time. Granular white blood cells live for only a few days. And agranular uh, white blood cells can live up for uh, can live up to six months, and so those are the ones that we really like to have is the agranular leukocytes. Um, these are white blood cells. These are the T cells, B cells, or uh, they're also called helper T cells. Okay, so um, as blood cells mature, they move into the circulatory system. Um, red blood cells circulate for up to four months before they break apart, and their components are removed from the blood by the spleen and liver. So now we're going to go down to red blood cells, and I'm going to get to show you my picture that i like to um draw and if you're listening to me on the podcast um you can also check out the youtube website and this is uh learn me lpn as well so uh, basically what i'm going to draw up here is how i picture red blood cells doing their job moving things throughout the body so red blood cell is basically a disc and it's biconcave meaning there's like a little dip in the middle um uh there's a picture on here. There's a flat view. It kind of looks like some candy. Like you can see uh candy that's shaped this way. But basically um they're a good example of how structural adaptation fits or affects biological function. So they're tough and flexible plasma membrane, deforms easily, allowing them to pass through small diameter capillaries. Um and the bioconcave disc shape is the thin center and thicker edges that makes for a large membrane surface and reduced spinning as blood flow. So you don't want them just acting wild while they're in there. So, um, I like to think of it as a car. So this is my blood cell and I'm going to add some little wheels underneath it and we're going to say, um, I'm going to skip over just a little bit and we're going to go look at hemoglobin. So hemoglobin, um, is what attracts oxygen to the red blood cell and that's what's going to carry it through. So we're going to say that hemoglobin is um the passenger in this little car and then we're going to say the oxygen um is like the baggage that it's carrying so we're gonna put a little oxygen back here and this is in the trunk um and it's gonna carry it all through the blood. Um and this is what you have to have to make your muscles work, to contract. This has how your heart contracts, how it sends blood to the rest of your body and how you're surviving. So um Mature red blood cells have no nucleus or cytoplasmic organelles. This means that they're unable to reproduce themselves or replace lost or damaged cellular components. They usually have a relatively short lifespan, 80 to 120 days. So when a nucleus and a cytoplasmic organelle are lost, the additional intercellular space in each cell is filled to capacity with hemoglobin. And hemoglobin permits RBCs to maintain homeostasis, carry oxygen and buffer blood, as we just said. Um, so hemoglobin gives RBCs their color and erythrocytes m- literally means red cells. So during hematopoiesis, red blood cells lose their mitochondria. So any oxygen carried by the RBCs by hemoglobin won't be used by the mitochondria to generate ATP or energy. Um, and during the RBC lifespan, it will travel around the entire cardiovascular system more than a hundred thousand times. That's a lot. And that's short amount of time. So the shape and plasma membrane of the red blood cells tends to, uh, allows it to bend and shape shift to pass through different areas. And you want this. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more when we get into um, sickle cell anemia. So the red blood count, um, under red blood count, we are now on page 260 at the bottom. We're going to talk about a CBC, which is a complete blood count. So if your physician asks you to go get a complete blood count, they're wanting to know how many red blood cells, how many uh, white blood cells, how many platelets, uh, and how much plasma is in the blood that you draw up. So you're going to use a machine for this. Um, let's see. Yeah, I do have a picture of it back here. Okay. So um, it's a battery of lab tests used to measure the amounts or levels of many blood cons- uh, constituents. <laughs> uh, normal for red blood cells is a range of 4.2 to 6.2 million per uh, millimeter of mercury. Um So uh, hematocrit, or HCT, um, is packed cell volume, or PCV, and it provides the volume of red blood cells in a blood sample. So what you're going to do is use a centrifuge tube, and there's also a picture of this on the study guide as well. And it's used to spin down whole tubes of blood and separates the components. So if you've ever been in, like, a red med or a little... um, a small facility, maybe you're gonna just go have a flu shot done, maybe you're just getting a normal checkup and you might see this machine. Um it just kinda it almost looks like a uh, instapot. That's what I think of. And they lift it up and they put the vials of blood in it that they've drawn and they spin, 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 and it separates it like pulls the different elements out um into separate parts. So what you're gonna see is on um, the bottom is going to be the hematocrit or the red blood cells. The middle part is going to be called a Buffy Coat, and this is white blood cells and platelets. And then the very top part is going to be the majority of what we talked about. Um, And this is water, proteins, nutrients, and hormones, the plasma. So basically, you go to the doctor and the nurse draws some blood from your arm. This is at CBC or a complete blood count. They put the tube of your whole blood, that means all of the stuff in it, um, in a centrifuge machine, and it spins down and around and around. All, All of the components are separate. So there should be three layers, plasma, Buffy Coat, and hematocrit. The normal, um, there's a picture of the normal in here as well in the book. And then there's uh, where there's, if there's a normal amount of hematocrit, you're good. If there is a small amount of hematocrit, you probably have anemia. And if there is a large amount of hematocrit or red blood cells, then you probably have polycythemia. Um, And these aren't very, very difficult to memorize as well. So now we're going to bump down to hemoglobin. Um, The quaternary protein made up of four polypeptide chains, each with an oxygen-attracting hemogroup at the center. Um, You have iron, folate, and vitamin B12. These are among the most critical nutrients needed to manufacture hemoglobin. Um, So transport of respiratory gases, O2 and CO2, combined with uh, hemoglobin is oxyhemoglobin and carbaminohemoglobin. Um, and you're going to see these equations on here. So CO2 is converted to bicarbonate by the red blood cells, and it's an important role of, in homeostasis and acid-base balance. So like we said, if um, you don't want to be acidotic, you don't want to be um, have too much of an alkaline lean, you want to be right where we need to be. Um, So, basically, hemoglobin is a protein in your red blood cells that's responsible for carrying oxygen that we breathe in and carbon dioxide that we breathe out through the body. So, oxyhemoglobin is an iron atom and a heme attracted to oxygen molecules, and they unite to form oxyhemoglobin. This is what carries oxygen in the blood cells. Um, So, carbon dioxide attaches to the amino acid to form a carbaminohemoglobin, um, and this is what is carried... This is what carries carbon dioxide to the lungs to be exhaled from the body. Um, So now we're going to get into our different types of anemia. So you have regular anemia. This is the inability of blood to carry adequate oxygen to tissues due to it can either be inadequate red blood cell numbers, like a really, really low count of red blood cells or a deficiency of normal hemoglobin. So if you don't have a normal level of hemoglobin, it's not going to do its job and drive this car around your body that needs its very tired driver. It's not going to get very far. It's not going to do what it needs to do. So if you have anemia, you're probably going to be fatigued. You're going to have an irregular heartbeat, maybe some chest pain, weakness, shortness of breath, cold hands and feet. Uh, Pale or yellowish skin, dizziness or lightheadedness, and even a headache because you're not getting that blood flow that you need. I can personally attest to this that it is exhausting. You feel like you have run a marathon and you have not. You just don't have enough blood in your body. Um, And this also comes around to why women are so tired when they get their cycles because you're losing a lot of blood. Um, That's why a lot of times they tell you to take iron because this will help with this. So the next is going to be aplastic anemia. And this is a decrease um, in red blood cell numbers caused by a destruction of. Uh, blood forming elements in bone marrow. So this can be because of chemo, radiation, and other destruction of RBC. So I thought a plastic tube can be inserted for chemo, and that could be causing aplastic anemia. If it works, it works. That's how I memorized it. So a plastic is going to be something physical causing this. So chemo, radiation, and other destruction of RBCs. So then next we have uh, pernicious anemia, and this is a lack of intrinsic factor in the stomach and it reduces the ability of vitamin B12 needed for RBC production. So the stomach lining reduces the intrinsic factor and the treatment for pernicious anemia is B12. Um, that's about all we needed to know about it. But she does want us to know all the different types of anemia. So the next you have a sickle cell anemia. And this is an inherited de- uh, defective gene or genes produced. Uh, It produces an abnormal amount of hemoglobin that is less able to carry oxygen, which forms clumps of RBCs that block the blood vessels. So this is more common in African-Americans and it is painful. So from what we have been told, obviously the lining of your blood vessels is smooth it's meant to be smooth so that these red blood cells are taken care of so that they can produce oxygen for your body or they can carry oxygen for your body so that you can remain at a homeostatic level if these things are all whacked up and looking crazy they're probably stabbing around poking around in there and that's not comfortable people that suffer from sickle cell anemia are in a lot of pain usually and they usually do not breathe very well um it's hard for them to do other things that that us normal blood cell having folks do, um, because it's not able to perform its uh, job properly. It's not going to be able to have the hemoglobin carry that oxygen throughout your body. Um, So next we have polycythemia, and this is abnormally high red blood cell count opposite of anemia. So they will clump and cause strokes. um, A therapeutic phlebotomy is what is used to relieve this. Um, You're going to bleed too much. You can bleed out. So um, you might have to check HH to make sure that you aren't um, draining too much every time you would have to do a therapeutic uh, phlebotomy. So purposely pull off that blood. You want to make sure you're not pulling off too much. But um, I can give you a story that will help you remember the polycythemia I have a great Dane, and uh, she was sleeping in our garage at this time while we were getting ready to build her doghouse. And I come outside the next morning to let her out to the bathroom, and there is just piles of blood everywhere. So this dog is already huge to begin with. And then to come outside and see, like, bucketfuls of blood all over the floor in different places, I'm, like, freaking out. I don't know what's going on. Well, I get her to the doctor, and I find out that she's been bitten by a tick. And whatever is going on with this tick has caused this polycythemia. So her body is trying to produce red blood cells to fix whatever's going on with this tick situation and because of that it's just an overload of red blood cells they're like immature red blood cells they are not ready but the body's throwing them out in an attempt to help save her and it was causing her to bleed out essentially she was vomiting um she was having bms of nothing but blood and that's super dangerous so Um, luckily we got her to the vet in time. She was okay, but imagine it's coming out of a human. So a lot of times this blood is going to want to escape through any, um, mucus membrane. So let's think about those. That's pretty sketchy. Um, we don't want too much of that either. So, um, we also have uh, hemorrhagic. I don't have a picture for that, but this is a degree uh, decreased red blood cell number caused by blood loss or hemorrhage. So a car accident, uh, a work accident where you have, you know, cut yourself extremely deep or um, have had some kind of serious injury, and this is basically bleeding out. So this is a hemorrhagic anemia. You are draining your body of that blood, causing anemia um, from a hemorrhage. So that one's pretty self-explanatory. So we also have blood types, and we're going to try to get into this. It can get a little confusing. I suggest looking at the um, chart that they have in our book. Um, So now we're on page 263. Um, and then also on 264. So there are um, every person's blood is one of the following types of blood cells. So in an ABO system, a type a type B type AB or type O. Um, And so what she wanted us to know is that a type AB is a universal recipient, meaning they can take blood from anyone. And type O is a universal donor, meaning they can't take it from everyone, but they can give it to everyone. So these are very sought after by uh, places that take up those kind of, Uh, donations so there's also a link on here as well um, to help understand these a little bit better but an antigen is a substance that can activate immune system and an antibody is a substance is made by the body in response to stimulus by an antigen so an antigen is something that's going to irritate your body and an antibody inside of your body is going to um, help in response to that Um, it's a stimulus to that so we are going to go down to an RH system, so RH blood, RH positive blood, the RH factor antigen present in RBCs, and RH negative blood uh, is no RH factor present in RBCs, no anti-RH antibodies present naturally in plasma. Um, so then we talked about blood doping. This might not be on the test, but she might throw it in there. Um Blood doping is an extra blood transfusion to athletes before a game for extra oxygen. Y'all had never heard of this. That's crazy. It's definitely illegal, but there's people that do that. So if you want that rush of blood, that good hit of oxygen before you get out and play a football game, why not just get hit up with a blood transfusion? Um, and get that extra oxygen and get yourself pumping dude. I wish I could do that before a test. Cause I promise you I'd do a lot better, but it's definitely illegal. We don't want to do that. But how cool is that? Like we just think of a lot things. So, um, I also put in the study guide as well, or on printables, I put out a sheet um, explaining the RH factor more in depth. I'm not going to hit that in here um, because it wasn't a super, super big deal, but we do need to know what the RH factor is um, and how it would affect a child. And we need to know that it is not the first child, but the second. So I am going to go ahead and read on 265, um, erythroblastosis fatalis. And this is in figure twelve seven. So we're going to start in the first little block. And it says, Rh-positive blood cells enter the mother's bloodstream during delivery of an Rh-positive baby. If not treated, the mother's body will produce antibody um, anti-RH antibodies. Two, a later pregnancy involving the Rh-negative baby is normal because there's no Rh antigens in the baby's blood. And then three, a later pregnancy involving an Rh-positive baby may result in erythroblastis um, fetalis. Anti-RH antibodies enter the baby's blood supply and cause anti uh, ag- agglutination of RBCs within the um, RH antigen. So basically, a mother and a father get together. They each have different blood types. When they get together, this first baby, the body's kind of like, oh, okay, we're getting set for this. The next time that uh, that she's pregnant, for the second baby, the body is taking it as an attack. It's looking at this child like it's not supposed to be here, and it's going to attack. So it says when a... An RH negative mother carries a second RH fetus caused by mother's RH antibodies reacting with the fetus's RH plus cells. And then I also put a YouTube um, link in here as well in the back of this study guide. So then we have a combined ABORH system. So both systems are often used in combination to identify a person's blood type, and this is important um to know again type o is a universal donor type a b positive is a universal recipient but you need to know this because you can actually kill somebody if you give them the wrong blood transfusion it's super dangerous like super toxic we don't do that so um it's very important to know what kind of blood type you are as well um in case it ever comes to that moment but we do want to make sure that we are really really reading really really knowing this stuff before we get in um to uh, the actual setting. So now we're going to go down to white blood cells or leukocytes. And intro to white blood cells on page 266. So they're categorized by presence of stained nuclei and granules and translucent cytoplasm, which we said So you have granul- granulocytes and agranulocytes. That's literally just what they look like under a microscope. It's not serious. So granulocyte is possess uh, possesses granules that stain. Agranulocytes is absent of stained uh, stained granules. And WBCs are involved in immunity. So your white blood cells are your Worker bees like they are really going to come at something that's trying to get into your body and mess you up. So, um, the structure and function they're categorized by presence of stained nuclei and granules in the translucent cytoplasm. So, granular leukocytes or granulocytes possess grains that stain, um, agranular or agranulocytes do not possess these stained granules. Um, and it repeats itself that they're involved in um, immunity. So a complete white blood cell count normal ranges between 5,000 and 10,000 millimeters uh, of mercury of blood. So leukopenia is a low WBC count. And this inc- it occurs infrequently. It's not very frequent. Um, but it may occur with malfunction of blood forming tissues or diseases affecting the immune system such as AIDS. So if you know anybody that has HIV that has developed into AIDS, um, they're going to get sick a lot easier because their white blood cell count is super low. And this is leukopenia. Um, they're not going to be able to fight off infection as well. And so that's super dangerous. Um, so then we have leukocy- or leukocytosis. And this is an abnormally high white blood cell count, over 10,000 millimeters of mercury uh millimeters per mercury of blood, Um, frequent finding in bacterial infections, and then it's also a classic sign in blood cancer. So if you see like a super, super high count, you can almost count that that's gonna end up being um, cancer. So there's a differential white blood cell count and this component test in CBC measures proportions for each type of white blood cell in a blood sample, so they can specifically go in and see. Um, So your white blood cell types, we talked about the granular um, is your neutrophils, eosinophils, basophils, and then your agranular, which is monocytes and lymphocytes. And you can go back and read about that again. Um, So then we have white blood cell disorders. We talked about leukemia. Um, Leukemia is cancer of the white blood cells. Um, Elevated white blood cell count. I'm not, I'm sorry, not of it. Um, Elevated white blood cell count and cells do not function properly. So high leukocytes um, with no infection is almost always leukemia. Uh, And then we're gonna look at platelets and blood clotting. And this is super important. Platelets are thrombocytes. Uh, it's a funky name. I just call them platelets. But these are tiny cell fragments filled with clot-triggering chemicals, and they play an essential role in blood clotting. So, platelets are clotting, and this is positive feedback. So, the clotting mechanism, vasoconstriction of blood vessels help close gaps in blood vessel walls and reduce local blood flow so we did talk about this before if you are cutting food and you slice your thumb open the first thing that your body's going to do is vasoconstrict so that veins are going to constrict and it's like holy moly we just got cut Let's get out a little enough out of here. They're going to try and close up really quickly so that they can keep the blood from flowing out of your body because uh, homeostasis, or homeostasis. They want to maintain that. So blood vessels damage release clotting factors that react with plasma factors to, pr- to form a prothrombin activator. So this is like a chain. Um, And then at the same time, platelets adhere to the break to form an air platelet plug and release additional clotting factors, promoting formation of prothrombin activator. So this is getting ready. We're getting ready. We're doing our next step. Prothrombin activator and calcium convert prothrombin to thrombin. Thrombin reacts with fibrinogens to form fibrin, which we had talked about before. Fibrin threads form a tangle to trap RBCs and other formed elements to produce a blood clot. So if you're watching, I'm gonna go ahead and draw a little chart so that we can remember this. It's not gonna get that in depth, but it would be important to know just in case we uh, are asked a question about this step. So we're gonna look at clotting mechanism and um, you're gonna start out with vasoconstriction. And this is just the, 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 the doors of your veins are trying to close up. We're trying to keep anything else from leaving this house. Um, then the blood vessel damage is going to release clotting factors to react with plasma factors um, to form prothrombin activators. So we're going to say uh, clotting factors. And we'll say plus plasma factors. And then we're going to go down again. And we're going to say at the same time, platelets adhere to break the form and form an air platelet plug and release additional clotting factors, promoting formation of the uh, prothrombin activator. So, prothrombin activator. And then we're going to go down. This prothrombin is going to turn into thrombin. And then we're going to go down again. And thrombin is going to react with fibrinogen. So, we're going to say thrombin. fibrinogens, and this is going to go to fibrins. And then fibrins are going to tangle and trap. So I'm going to draw a little net down here, and they're going to trap all this stuff. They're going to trap uh, red blood cells and other formed elements to produce a blood clot. So I'm going to move this down just a little bit. There's our little net. Our fibrin is going literally like fibers. They're going to reach out with their little hands and they're going to grab the rest of the stuff, anything that they can, band-aid wise, to pull this in so that we can keep ourselves alive. Um, And that's very important to know because we want to stay alive. Um, All right. So now we're going to go down to blood clotting. We're going to look at abnormal blood clots. So we have a thrombus and a bolus. So a thrombus is a stationary blood clot. Um... Let's say thrombus is a stationary blood clot. We're going to say it's like a train station. A train station is not moving anywhere. It's going to be pretty stationary. So a thrombus is a train station, TNT. And then a bolus is circulating blood clot. Drugs, uh, Drug called tissue plasminogen activator is used to dissolve clots that have already formed. So a bolus, I'm going to think of a bus. It's going to drive all up and through this body god knows where and we really hope that it doesn't uh, block something that's super important so thrombus is going to be a train station it's stationary and a bolus is going to be the bus that's driving this clot throughout our body so if you have a patient come in with a stroke the first thing that you're going to want to do is have a cat scan done because this is going to tell you where that clot is and this is going to keep somebody from having um having more serious issues so a hemorrhagic um is going to cause damage to um, our blood vessels. Embolus is going to be a occlu- uh, occluded vessel. Um, so the thrombus is going to stay and a bolus is going to drive around. Um, you can also have an antithrom- uh, antithrombic, and this is to reduce a clot. So like ATP uh, ATP or strepto- streptokinase she said, was going to be another way to do this. So um She also told us that we needed to look at Coumadin or Heparin. These are two medications that are blood thinners as well. And we talked about Heparin a little bit earlier in this chapter. So Coumadin or Heparin are going to be able to um, help thin the blood a little bit so that it's not constantly building up wherever this blockage is. Um, She also told us to look at AFib. um, And this was around 269. Let's see the little box at the bottom of 269. So that is it for this chapter. That's all that I have. I would suggest doing the quick checks. I would suggest doing the tests at the back of the chapter and the workbook questions. If you have laid your eyes on it, you know it. You know that you know it. Um let's see. That is pretty much it. I don't see anything else in these notes that we haven't hit. So that's blood. That's the cool stuff that helps keep us together and helps keep us breathing. Um, Super duper important. And I hope that you guys learned something. If you have any questions, uh, shoot me a comment underneath the video, send me a message, um, and I'll be happy to get back to you.